Like, put it in full to see. I started to read Satellite Sam last night. Did you? I read the first issue. Yeah, I like it. I don't know, I'm not all that hooked yet. I like it. I think it's quite good. Does it's it... very different. Is it? But it's right up Howard Chirkin's back alley, isn't see, it? See, well, I noticed that. It's like, yeah, I'm pretty enjoying this, and I've not even turned the cover yet. <laughs> But, um, That's my bike. Yeah. I mean, you, say, you say it was pretty weird and I'm reading it. So there's nothing weird about this. It's weird in the sense that it's very strange for a Matt Fraction comic if you're only used to reading his Fantastic Four and Hawkeye stuff. Yeah, it seems, yeah, cause it, it seems a lot more grounded. It's yeah. the opposite. It's not weird. But yeah, it it's not. Weird. I've never read anything by Matt Fraction until he started on Hawkeye. So yeah. that may be what all of his creator-owned stuff's like. I don't know. It, it just, I like I like satellite stuff. It just seems like a commentary on American TV. It, yeah, it's, and there's there's a little bit of Adventures of Superman in it, and mm. a little bit of uh, the transition from radio to television, and a lot of sex because it's how it's shaking. Yeah, but I quite I'm enjoying it, and I like that it's black and white. I think it looks yeah. I think it looks really good in black and white. Is anyway, it, is it pencils? Cause it, it, no, it looks like he's inked it. It looks a little like pencils to me. Maybe he's gone straight to inks. Okay. That's possible. I mean, because some people like doing that because then you can't make a mistake. Yeah. And they like that pressure. Yeah, I, I like Satellite Sam, but um, I'm, I'm tempted to try his Sex Criminals as well because mm. that's supposed to be a comedy. So yeah. I, I may give that a go as well. Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey, kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. Faster. And here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome to another show. Yeah, that we're we really produce. churning these that we produce. We're churning these out. You know, we're Once nearly at episode one hundred and fifty. It was only yesterday, or episode one hundred. It was not literally. Well, no, no. I Obviously. mean, if you listened to episode hundred yesterday, dear listeners. <laughs> Yeah, if you're one of those people who blitz through the back catalogue yeah. since it's all become available to you. And yesterday you did listen to it. What did we do for episode 100? Um, I, you messed up. No, yeah, no, yeah, I did, didn't I? I screwed up, didn't episode I? 100 was episode 100 was actually episode 100 was actually the Superman 3 commentary, wasn't it? Yeah. Did we have to swap them around because I messed up? No, you found out recently. <laughs> That what actually went up was uh, episode 100 was actually 101. You mean this finely oiled machine made a slight cock up? A slight. I am shocked by that news. (laughs) It has never happened before. And never will happen again. Uh, No. (laughs) I do wonder how long it will take to listen to all our shows back to back. I could tell you but I don't have them all on the laptop. I have them all backed up to the external drive. if you have them all on iTunes, it'll tell you how long it'll take. Well, I could just highlight all the files as well, and that'll tell me how long it was. I do know, happy birthday, Superman. Yeah. I think 
all eight episodes of that would have taken you a full day to listen to, I think. That's a full day you've got too much time on your hands? No, no, it's a full day that you spend in the company of us <laughs> talking about the premier superhero. I cannot think of a better way to spend your day than with us talking about Superman. If there are a few beers to hand, so much the better. Yep. <laughs> Especially now that you're nearly old enough. Yes, lovely listener. Yeah. Next week is Michael's 18th birthday episode. Well, and next week it will be my 18th birthday yeah, I mean, as of recording. As of recording, yeah. So last week it was my birthday. <laughs> Wibbly wobble. Can I have my presents now? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You know, if the, the, considering the rules of the show, <laughs> so on the show, gone, yeah. your birthday's gone now. Yeah. But as it's in the show, next week is your birthday because next week in real life, yeah. lovely listener, this is not real life. This is all a mythical construct. It's just fantasy. Yeah. This is no fantasy. No product of idle <laughs> imagination. And I think I even messed the line up, didn't I? Probably. This is undeniable fact. Anyway, speaking of undeniable facts, I'm trying to think of anything interesting comic-related that I've done this week. Other than, we yeah. just took your sister to um, Orton Evening, because she starts high school next year. Uh, yeah. Which physically pains me. Physically? Physically, that causes me Pains in your pain. arms. Yeah, pains everywhere. Um, and in the school library, they had a copy of Batman the Cult, which impressed me. Yeah. And the woman that we were chatting to, though, I was leafing through it, and I said, I do judge people on whether they have books and bookshelves. I don't care what religion you are, I don't care what colour you are, I don't care what sex you are, I'm even toss about any of that. But if you don't read, I don't trust you. Uh, I belong to a suicide pact. So no. <laughs> and she said, oh, do you like, do you like comics? And so I said, yeah, yeah, my boyfriend has the biggest comic collection. Your boyfriend? I just, I just looked Does at he really? Her. I looked at her and that's what she said. Right, okay, okay. And I looked sure. her, that's what she said. And I looked at her and said, want to bet? <laughs> And then we got into a conversation where she's like, he's got copies that he's got twice because he's got them in the omnibuses. And Aunt your mum sat there going, this sounds very familiar. And you sat there going, yeah, but I've got omnibuses twice. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, but I've got omnibuses twice because mine's covered in blood from killing vagrants. Put that in your pipe. <laughs> so I, I need to find him. And, and make sure he listens to the and show. And send him pictures of all your signed uh, copies and sketches. Yeah. And so, yeah. Well, yeah. I, we, we did collection, eh? we, They did have um, the graveyard book by Neil Gaiman, and I yeah. said, we've got an autograph copy. <laughs> anyway, what <laughs> upsmanship. It's uh, always, always, it's a, always a the greatest support. Yes. Anyway, tonight, we, we, we said last week we're doing Kodam, so let's not bury the lead. Bit of Kodam. Yeah. Always nice to have some sword and sorcery in your diet. But what are we doing next week? Well, dear. <laughs> <laughs> your birthday show. Tommy, Chippy. It's Michael's birthday show. Tommy, you and Ewok are in Jawa. Both. I'm an Ewok. Jawa. Jawa. No, that's a Jabberwocker. <laughs> Come the Jabberwocker. Anyway, we need to do a show. We do. We need to get on with what we're actually covering tonight, which is Savage Sword of Conan. But before that, we'll do a couple of emails. Only a couple. Only a couple, yeah. We've got quite a few, but uh, we'll we'll go to this one, I think, going in order that we receive them. This one's the 5th of September. So we're very sorry, Damien, for taking so long to get back to you. Uh, it's the lovely Damien General Lee. 
Hello again, Leyland Eye. Hello again, Damien General Lee. <laughs> Cosmic Spidey was a totally unexpected subject for your latest podcast, begins Damien, but was one from my golden age where I was picking up comics with real regularity. Whenever my parents took me to the nearest big town, as only a handful of DCs were available where I lived. Prior to that, my main Marvel experience was a second-hand bookshop full of cheap black and white 70s, early 80s Marvel UK reprints, 5p each. Fab stuff, of course. But I was excited to be getting the stuff as it actually appeared, and in colour. And whole stories, as opposed to six to eight pages each of an anthology title. Yeah, but those black and white UK reprints are awesome. Mm. They, they just are. There's just no substitute for them. It's a shame you didn't cover the whole of Acts of Vengeance. Yeah, that's a real shame. <laughs> uh, I bought the main omnibus and I've been very slowly dipping in and out of it. Yes, it's phenomenally dated. But as a crossover that had no core miniseries and was done by a plethora of different writers, I think it was great fun. I never managed to get the last parts of the crossover as a child, so can't wait to read how it wound down in the omnibus. I'm guessing the villains didn't win and kill all the heroes. Except maybe Quasar. I, I think that if you were to put money on that, you'd probably not win anything. Ah, oh, Eric Larson, continues Damien. I remember feeling he was a McFarlane knockoff back when I was seeing them side by side, but I agree that he was a really anything but. He may draw Jennifer Rabbit-esque Murray Jane, but while my taste is usually for more realistic art styles, he's a fantastic cartoonist and, as you said, does an excellent Spider-Man. I have about 100 or so issues of Savage Dragon, but only read the first 35-ish, and know it's apparently a wildly creative read and fun, so must somehow find the money to catch up. Did you know Dragon is ageing in real time? That alone makes it worth reading. So does, does that mean he's going to die at some point? Is Eric Larson yeah. going to kill him off at some point, do you think? Well, John Constantine was aging in real time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan Didio put an end to that, though. Yeah. Judge Dredd is. Is it? Yeah, Judge Dredd is now in his 70s in the comic strip. Right. Which I was quite intrigued to learn, because I've not read recent Dredd. Mm. The film made me want to read more Dredd. Have you toned him down recently, though? I've not read any recent Instead Dredd. Instead of punching these fist through people's faces... Because <laughs> he's just, in his 70s now. Do you just get, No, because of, like... Like you said, he's a bit more metal. The government saying, ah, children, violent, ah. Who so cares what they're saying? Instead of through the face, is it like just a little gun just punch? just flax him a bit. Yeah. No, no, the film's an 18, dude. You should watch Dread. Okay. It was, it was in Asda today on Blu-ray for eight quid. And I was like, I would have bought it if I had any money whatsoever. Hmm. Anyway, Damien continues, Marvel UK gave my second and most important Spidey Golden Age shortly after Acts of Vengeance. Did you ever buy the complete Spider-Man? Oh, yes. It was the first of the complete multi-title comics, collecting an amazing four comics every few weeks and launched off the success of McFarlane's Spider-Man. It included that amazing spectacular and web, so 100 pages of Spidey awesomeness from the dawn of the 90s. It ran for 22 issues before they relaunched it with a smaller page count, the same, or higher price, when I walked away to start buying the US originals. The stories weren't actually from the same months, though. For example, I'm rereading it now, and one issue includes Sandman being glassed by Doc Ock in Amazing, whilst also having Sandman helping Spider in a bunch of sea listers in a weird black cloud in Spectacular. It was wildly confusing, but when every issue was almost as big as a modern trade paperback for less than two quid, who cared? The British Panini reprints of Marvel's comics are still really good value for money. Mm. They're still around the £2.50 mark, aren't they? And they publish at least three regular American comics per issue. I know the Spider-Man one is currently up to something like issue 99 of whatever it's called now. It's not yeah. called the complete Spider-Man anymore. And next issue will be issue 100 is Amazing Spider-Man 700. So I'm willing to bet they will renumber it at back at number one. 
and retitle it with the launch of Superior Spider-Man. Well, the the, the DC do the they have DC ones as well, and what was ridiculously confusing about those was how um, they started doing the New Fifty Two, right? Yeah, but they were printing the first volume of Batman Incorporated. Incorporated in the same issue as the second volume of Batman Incorporated right alongside Scott Snyder's Batman right that does sound a bit confusing see yeah. now they've Batman Legends still runs yeah but they've moved up to magazine sized comics yeah so Superman and Batman now have magazine sized comics in the same size like Q yeah uh, and Superman the publishing is all over the place they're publishing Grant Morrison's action comics, but this month's issue was from like issue five, yeah. issue twelve, and one of the backups by Charlie Fish. And you're like, is this like the Grant Morrison thing that we said about Final Christ? Just throw it up in the air, <laughs> pick it up at random, and it probably makes more sense. The person editing that magazine is listening to our show and decided to keep <laughs> I it a spin. This was a great way to. Yeah. You listen to you've not listened to Fat Man on Batman, have you? The Grant Morrison ones. No. He's very entertaining, man. On oh, he's yeah. just done another one. Mm. Talking about his, the entirety of his, his Batman run. I finally listened to it. Mm. He's talking out of his ass with the end of the killing joke. I don't agree with him at all. Yeah, yeah. But that's his interpretation of the story, so fair enough. I'll go with him. I don't agree with him. Yeah. But he's not saying you're wrong to not think this. He's this saying was, it's his. This opinion. was his in, uh, interpretation of that story. Yeah. So fair dude. But it's a very good interview. He is an engaging oh, yeah. orator, isn't he? Yeah. So. Well, that talk is like. Uh, we've finished now. Like, that was an hour. That was ten minutes. Well, see, I got the feeling he could have carried on talking on, on Batman because he talks a lot about his Wonder Woman. Yeah. Which, which he's good. launching soon with uh, Yannick Paquette, isn't it? Mm. Anyway, Damien's email concludes. Anyway, thanks for that. You have, as ever, enhanced my love of the best medium in the world. Over the past year and a half, you've become my first listen to show every week. Oh, thank you very much. We appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Because uh, there's an awful lot of comics podcasts. So we appreciate that you choose to listen to us blithering on. Because you, you're a bit of a bummer and you think we're really, really bad. I don't think we're really, really bad. But again, there's just been another podcast started. Professor Allen and his daughter, Emily, yeah. have essentially ripped us off. We we demand... We demand royalty money. Yeah. No, I don't mind. We, we demand money, any. Any money, money yeah. yeah. Any money you want to send us, we're, we're open to it. <laughs> Whenever someone's offered you money, dude, yeah. take it and say thanks. Don't question it. <laughs> take it. But they've started doing a show, um, Shortbox Showcase, mm. and I listen to that and think, this is really good, the dynamic between these two is really fun, and I'm listening to it going, is this what people see in our show? Yeah. Because I don't listen to this without hearing the mistakes and the flubs and the places where I could have edited it better. And to you, it's just us sound our asses talking for about which, an hour. Yeah. Which is what we do anyway, yeah. So, so look, yeah, we appreciate that. Thank you very much. Hope you and the family had a great summer and start planning now. But once Michael goes to uni, you're going to need careful planning to stay weekly. <laughs> Take care, Damien. Um, Monthly? Yeah, I, I think that the show as it is currently standing is over when Michael leaves. You're such a bummer. <laughs> No, I'm not. <laughs> Downer. Downer. Oh, I forgot. I don't want to do it over Skype. And you'll, you'll be... I 
off having a life. You right, why is everyone trying to kick me out when I'm I turn not 18? Trying to kick you out at all. Just turn 18, I'm gonna move out and go to uni. No, I'm lazy, I wanna stay in my ass. I know, but even if you only end up going to Manchester Uni, that's still a train drive. You may decide, nah, I want a flat, man, in Manchester, I wanna be <laughs> Manchester. I wanna be where the action is, right? I wanna be able to go down the clubs. That's that's great. Until, okay. Well, A, I don't wanna go to a club, but yeah, that sounds great <laughs> un- until I realise I don't have any money for a flat. Well, there is. I mean, you have to get a job, you're 18, dude. <laughs> not yet. I'm not 18 yet. I'm not getting the job. By the show, you're 18. <laughs> Why when this goes up, already? you'll be 18. <laughs> Wimbly, wobbly. Uh, thank you, David. We appreciate that. That was very good. A nice trip down memory lane for uh, Marvel UK. Yeah? Uh, our next email is from Chris Keith. Chris Keith? Mm-hmm. On Facebook, you're there. On fa- yes. I found he on eBay. About you. No, no, he said lovely things about me. Okay. He could say bad things about me, I don't know. <laughs> don't care, it's funny I'm either th- way. I'm thick skinned, I'm not bothered, it's free publicity. I'm not bothered, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am down with the free publicity. People could post that A Kids Comics podcast, sucks moose, all over the internet, but people would go, let's click on the link and listen to it, and I'd be down with that. <laughs> Uh, what was I saying? Oh, on eBay. You know the infamous 1979 annuals which kicked off this whole love affair that I still have with comics? Yeah. I found the Batman one for 99 pence. Mm. And I posted it on my Facebook page that this is the annual that I'm always talking about that kick-started my, my love affair with comics. It, but in the last 10 seconds... No, no, I just... Sniped it. Mine's knackered. Yeah. You know, mine's falling to pieces, but I will never get rid of it because it's got two Andrew Merry Christmas Love Nan and Granddad written in it. Mm. So I would never get rid of it for that reason. But Chris won it. Yeah. So, excellent. <laughs> well done, Chris. Made up with that. I hope you'd mention the show to the guy you win it off. Yeah, of course. Because, you know, never have too many listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wolverine, the state of comics, and a little Night's Quest. That's going back a bit, isn't it, Night's Quest? Yeah. Mighty Leyland's Mighty Chris. Just finished your Wolverine episode and had a few thoughts. I've always loved this book. I have still never tracked down the originals. They were a holy grail years ago, but I had long since determined that I would not be able to afford anything other than the trade, and now I'm just too lazy to track down the books. First time I read it, yeah, the art made it for me. To be honest, I always thought they could just consider an alternative silent first issue. It might not work later on in the minute, but you could get a lot of story from the art. I know you guys dog Frank Miller, and I agree he's not the same as he was on Daredevil in the 70s. Some chapters of Sin City are almost unreadable. And while I appreciate Miller's love affair with Japanese culture, I grew tired of it by his Daredevil run. So seeing it here was just overkill. Don't get me started on the whole honour nonsense from the Yoshida. They're gangsters, plain and simple. What they do is no more honourable than Wolverine. They just couch it in culture. Um, I think Sin City's best work was well, my favourite. My favourite of Frank Miller's book is Born Again. Right. But that is essentially the same plot as The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. I just in really like the art style of Sin City. Like, yeah, I like the art in Sin City. Some of the stories are a bit realer, but yeah, I don't mind. Mm. Well, the art's not all that great when you're like, oh great, this guy's hanging from the ceiling, but I can see he's six I don't gun. want to see that, no. Um, Grant Morrison's maybe want to read Dark Knight Strikes again, again. Again, again. Yeah, he was talking about it on that Fat Man on Batman. He's made me go all right because I've never read that since I bought it. Yeah, because of the same as everybody else, it was like this is awful. But I didn't think it was awful. Well, I, I have I, thought what we should do is a Frank Miller Batman show. We do year one. Mm. We do Batman Spawn. We do Absolute Batman and Robin. We do Dark Knight Returns and Dark Knight Strikes again. And I thought that'd be just too long. I can't be bothered. Well, I, I read most of the Millerverse of Batman. Hmm. Um, well, without the Spawn one and Year One, I, I I didn't think it was as bad as everyone said. It's 
um, reading um, All Star in hindsight is really disappointing. Why? Because of the Jim Lee art? No, the Jim Lee art is great it's because it ends out the of nowhere. Jim Lee maintains they are committed to getting that boot back and finished at some Jim point. Jim Lee maintains that it's not all about the money, though. Oh, well, all right, fair enough. Of course it's all about the money. Yeah. Um, Chris continues, the state of comics, Marvel. I'm reading all the books you mentioned. Fantastic Four is not as awesome as I'd hoped. FF is weird and that's okay, but the main book, I guess I just wanted something more. I can't quantify what more is. I don't dislike it, I just don't love it. I'm thinking maybe a reread once the arc is complete will change my thoughts. Hawkeye is top of the stack every month, as is Captain America, Superior Spider-Man, Iron Man, all new X-Men. Damn, I buy too many Marvel books. I haven't even got to the Wolverine stuff, I just have to buy. DC, I'm really enjoying Superman and Batman, Aquaman and the Justice League and must-reads as well. The only book I've bailed from, DC, are books that were cancelled anyway, so I'm not losing any sleep. And I have to say, I haven't been this enthusiastic about some of the DC books since around 2001, or whatever Luke was writing Superman. It's not perfect, but I'm enjoying the ride, and that's the most important thing. I said in the title of this email, A Little Night Quest. I started listening to your show back when these episodes were the earliest available on your old feed. Not all of them, sadly. So now I'm catching up, A, to find myself re-listening to some old episodes, because I'm not sure what were available, and B, enjoying the re-listen. Thank you, 2TrueFreaks.com. Good plug, Chris. <laughs> Two points, however. The implausibly spiky gloves of death. I love that term. And every time I look at a picture of Asbats, I hear your voice refer to those ridiculous gloves. They were the most stupid part of that whole thing, wasn't it? Mm. How in the hell did he pick anything up? Um... 90s. <laughs> Did he just prod him? Yeah. He just prodded his gloves it's through like, it and picks it up like cats do with the claws. Or when you're trying to use chopsticks, we just can't be asked anymore. You just food. You uncouth western <laughs> slob. Number two, Jean-Paul's last name. Okay, Lee Majors starred on a show from 1965 to 1969 called Big Valley. This show was not set on Krypton, so it was not Big Valley. Every time I hear it pronounced this way, it cracks me up. <laughs> for this time I say it all the time but I sincerely mean it thank you for your excellent presentation I appreciate your efforts thank you well thank you Chris we appreciate you saying that P.S. oh Doctor Who update I just finished The Power of Three which means I have only one more Amy Rory episode left and I fortunately have no idea what happens to them still enjoying the ride but looking forward to Clara aren't we all (laughs) (laughs) you're a big fan of Clara aren't you Michael Yes, indeed. Okay. Patrick Kukorin's emailed in with uh, Cosmic Spidey. Hello, fellas. Patrick here from Metro Detroit. And I'm enjoying your coverage of Cosmic Era Spider-Man. Thanks for the nostalgic flashback to when I read the arc as a preteen off the stands. I was very confused. The confusion was a result of being too young to grasp the concept of event comics, and Acts of Vengeance was not on my radar. Spider-Man's my favourite character, and I've read him in good times and bad since I was five years old. I'm now 31. It's the one constant in that span of time, in some form or another. I always read Spider-Man, yet this period, 89 to 91-ish, was spotty for me, because I was too dopey to understand the major events. Thanks for filling it in for me so I don't have to slog back through it. <laughs> hey, kids comics, reading bad comics so you don't have to. <laughs> That's an old tagline. Because <laughs> we've not read any bad comics in ages. Even Cosmic Spider-Man wasn't bad, was it? No. It was not A-grade material. It, it was, was not a pinnacle of comics achievement. But they were solid Spider-Man books. Oh, I don't know. If, if Watchmen's a pinnacle, I'm pretty sure Cosmic Spider-Man is too. <laughs> the top ten graphic novels of all time. Watchmen, Mouse, Axe of Vengeance. Vengeance. <laughs> 
Totally, dude. I'm totally having that. <laughs> the best trades and graphic novels by Andrew and Michael. <laughs> Spider-Man <laughs> Torment, number four. Disclaimer, this list might be taking the piss. <laughs> it's still not quite sure. <laughs> Continues Patrick to beg my parents to buy or let me read friends' copies of Amazing Women Spectacular because I understood the major Spidey events occurred in all three books. I knew nothing of Acts of Vengeance, even with it being pimped in Spidey books ad nauseum. I was too young and too dumb to put all the pieces together. Please understand, I would become confused at Twinkie adverts featuring characters and assume for some reason the plot I was reading abruptly stopped, the art radically changed, and the heroes just wanted to eat some fat laden sweets. Oh, guys, that would be brilliant! <laughs> In the middle of fighting Dr. Octopus, Spider-Man goes, I'm here to your Twinkie. <laughs> you want one, Doc? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll admit that used to confuse me as Did well. that confuse you? <laughs> I used to like the Twinkie advert. I could get past the conceit that Spider-Man got even more superpowers from space, continues Patrick. That was fun. But for all the non-Spidey villains showing up, let alone Loki, Magneto and Super Mecha Sentinel, they made me scratch my little head for days. I felt like someone was playing a practical joke and cutting out sections of the story by selling them to me for a finished comic. I was only eight. Cosmic Spidey was touched on again a few years ago during the last run of Amazing, issue 627 through 631, in which writer Roger Stern and artist Lee Weeks returned to tell a retro-feeling tale of Spidey trying to stop the Juggernaut again and Captain Universe returning. It was uh, different. Not great, but fun nonetheless. Thanks again, Patrick. Keep up the general buffoonery. Thank you very much, Patrick. We, we like that. Uh, uh, I'm glad you enjoyed Cosmic Spider. I enjoyed doing Cosmic Spider-Man. I mean, we, you know, like I say, it wasn't primary grade material, but... Mm. It was enjoyable comics. Finally tonight, it's totally cosmic, man. It's like totally cosmic, man. It's the mighty Luke Giaconetti. My favourite Cosmic Ray enhanced father-son podcasting tea. That would be me and you. Yes. I don't mind so much that Axe of Vengeance has two omnibus volumes, but the fact that Atlantis Attacks has an omnibus is a bit much. <laughs> True that. The Trapster is one of those classic Marvel bad guys who everyone ends up fighting at some point. See also The Wrecking Crew. He's a great example of what I call a plug-and-play character. You need a bad guy for the hero to tangle with for an issue? Throw the Trapster at him. The silliness of his old name aside, I like his shtick and the glues and the adhesives. If treated fairly well, this is a difficult weapon to counter. How does someone like Daredevil, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, the Black Widow or Moon Knight fight against getting gummed up in superglue? It's not the same as just punching harder than the other guy. The hero has to use their brain. I, I quite like the Wrecking Crew. I like the Wrecking Crew. Just because in Marvel Zombies they all get mercilessly eaten. <laughs> oh, I, I like Thunderball and um, I love Crusher Creel. Yeah. I think Crusher Creel's a great bad guy. The best example of how the Trapster's weapons can be used to great effect is in a scene from the Dixie... D- Dixie? <laughs> is in a scene from Disney Pixar's The Incredibles. When Mr. Incredible tries to escape from Syndrome's computer room, the villain's sentry guns fire a black vicious goo. That's viscous. Viscous, <laughs> not vicious. A black viscous goo which sticks to our hero, eventually immobilising I can read proper me. <laughs> Despite Mr. Incredible's super strength, he can't do much of anything, which he can't move his limbs or unstick himself from the floor. Food for thought. The only real parts of Axe and Vengeance I've read are the three-issue tie-in with my... I'm Apparently I can read. Can you? Apparently so. The only real parts of Axe and Vengeance I have read is the three-issue tie-in with Iron Man. 
The first issue is a time travel story with Doctor Doom. The second issue features Shellhead battling the Wrecker, the king of plug-and-play characters. And the third issue features Luke Cage's old foe, Chemistro. The Chemistro connection is interesting. This is the second man to use this identity, Calvin Carr. His older brother, Curtis Carr, was the first Chemistro who, after losing his leg while fighting Cage, reformed and goes to work for Stark Industries. In fact, he comes into play in the story. Nice use of continuity, but if you're going to switch by everyone's bad guys, maybe don't send someone to fight a hero who has that guy's brother, who is intimately familiar with, familiar with how that guy's powers work on the payroll. Just saying. You asked about the Brothers Grimm giving Iron Man problems. Yeah, they never really give Shellhead much trouble either. The Blood Brothers would have been a better pick to tangle with the cosmic Spider-Man. Plus, always good to have more Doom. To this day, I still laugh at Andy's legendary line of Doom cues for no man. On an unrelated note, in my youth, kids programming cable channel Nickelodeon heard both Count Duckula and Danger Mouse. Which uh, Charlie Niemeyer told us last week. Mm-hmm. I loved Count Duckula, still do. Looking forward to the next instalment, gents. Luke. Well, you're very welcome, Luke. I'm glad to know that some of our cultured programming made it to America. Yeah. Count Duckula, Danger Mouse. Culture. Culture? <laughs> Nay, do not be knocking the Danger Mouse. <laughs> Young man. Uh, we're going to knock it on the head though, even though we have a couple of other emails to get to. If you've not had yours read yet, it's simply because we've not got there yet. It's still in the queue. Um, I stu- struggled over-speaking, apparently, <laughs> today. <laughs> no, you're not having uh, much Not luck. having any luck, no, because I've stopped editing the emails. Have you? It just was t- far too time-consuming. It was added an extra hour yeah. before we were doing the show. I just can't be bothered anymore, so we'll just don't want to do as many. We'll, flux! It's all fluxed up. Yes. Is what I'm saying. Anyway, break, plug somebody's show, it'll be great. That show that I'm plugging, go and listen to it, but listen to what we're talking about next. Because we're greater. Because we're greater. <laughs> and by crumb, Conan would not like it if you dissed us now. Mm. We'll be right back. Would you like another drink? Uh, yeah, go on. I assume at any point, because you'd be going to yell and by crumb <laughs> for the next hour and a half. Crumb, Mitra. Hi, this is Patrick, and this is my dad. And we record a podcast called Make Dad Read Comics. And to best understand what the podcast is about, Explain what we do on the podcast, Dad. Well, my son he used to read, well, he still reads comics. He's 30 years old, he reads comics. And he used to read comics back to high school, and I made fun of them. And then one day I was thinking, as he was talking to me, that, you know, when you make fun of something, really, you're showing your ignorance. So perhaps I should actually look at these comics. So he started having me read these comics. Boy, oh boy, they are something different. Are they designed for low life and dumb people? <laughs> no, 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 no. I've learned they're really not designed for low life and dumb people. But they are frivolous to a large degree. Silliness runs through them. So, if you want to be frivolous and silly but not dumb and low life, please listen to Make Dad Read Comics. You can find us on iTunes. It is Make Dad Read Comics, and he gets a treat for reading comics. I do. <laughs> Every week. Every week. Something good for the pastry shop. Something good for the pastry shop. Bye. And we're back. I made Michael do that because he's not stuffing his face. Mm-hmm. For some reason. They usually make me do it when I am stuffing my face. That's true, but I felt like making you do it properly yeah. this week. Following on from the sheer fun we had a few weeks ago covering G.I. Joe, a comic we nothing about. And knowing it is half the battle. And knowing it is half the battle. We decided to look at our straining bookshelves and do something similar with another much-lauded property. This one has a huge fan base and has been published in comics since the early 1970s and before that, in novels since 1933 and along the way has been adapted into movies, television shows, games and role-playing games. 
It is, of course, Conan the Barbarian. I have no familiarity with Conan. I know who he is, and that's it. Whilst there was a long-running Marvel UK Conan title, I never read it. I never watched the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies or read the books. Why? I was never really a sword and sorcery guy. It's that simple. I didn't hate Conan or anything, but it wasn't science fiction, private investigators, superheroes, or car chases. So I decided it wasn't for me. What if? I'm a man a... of simple taste, aren't I? Yeah. Well, what if there was a comic where it was a science fiction comic <laughs> where it was With a, a private, private investigating superhero who chases cars in the future? Yes. With a flying car. So yeah. Flying car chases. And, and the his, only thing cooler than a car And his sidekick is Conan. <laughs> By Crom! By Crom! This we won't the blackguard! Conan has, for some reason, ended up in the future. Yes. The, the frost giants cast him out. <laughs> Magnum PI 2099. <laughs> Magnum the Barbarian 2099. <laughs> Do you like that? That's awesome. We need to pitch this <laughs> Conan? Do you know anything about Conan? Um, not much. Right. I know he hack and slash Because on the other stuff, you knew a little bit more about G.I. Joe than me. I basically knew what I read in those three comics. Yeah. You were kind of more familiar with a little bit of it. Mm. Uh, but with this, <laughs> so both of us knew nothing. I thought he was kind of like He-Man, only without all the cool bits. <laughs> He's cooler than He-Man, isn't he? Is he, though? I think so. If you re- as you read more of them, because I've blitzed through this omnibus since I started reading these. Mm. Conan was created by Robert E. Howard and first appeared in pulp magazine Weird Tales in the early 1930s. And before his death by suicide in 1936, Howard had gone on to write 21 Conan stories. Conan is set in the mythical Hyborian Age, after the fall of Atlantis, mainly because although Howard was a history buff, he realised that maintaining historical accuracy may interfere with his stories as well as being time-consuming to research. George R. R. Martin has essentially done the same thing with Game of Thrones. Conan himself is a Cimmerian, who was a skilled warrior from the age of 15, when, in true hero fashion, he took to wandering the lands in search of excitement, adventure and really wild things. Conan came to comics thanks to editor-writer Roy Thomas. Oddly, Thomas had little interest in the works of Robert E. Howard and the Conan character, although he was buying the books largely due to the magnificent Frank Frazetta covers. However, the Marvel readership were constantly asking Marvel to come up with other kinds of stories, not just superheroes, and a number of the suggestions was for a book in the sword and sorcery genre. As he would with Star Wars years later, Thomas championed the cause of publishing a Conan comic to Marvel head honchos Stan Lee and Martin Goodman. And after their initial offer for another character fell through, Thomas approached the Howard estate for Conan. As Thomas tells it, they didn't have a lot of money, but he sold the deal by saying that it may get Conan into the hands of people who would not normally pick up the novels. A deal was struck, but not to adapt any of Howard's material, just for the rights to the characters. For Thomas, this was not satisfactory, and he managed to convince Marvel to stump up more money to adapt the actual Conan literary works into comics, which started with Conan the Barbarian number 4, adapting The Tower of the Elephant, cover dated January 1971. The first issue sold well, but for some reason every subsequent issue sold less than the one before. Fearing cancellation, Thomas asked Stan Lee for advice, and Stan took Thomas aside and said it was due to the covers. The covers were depicting too many animals, Stan said. Get some more humanoid bad guys on the cover. 
Lee followed up this statement, and promptly vanished in a puff of printer's ink, leaving Thomas befuddled, but with nothing to lose, he implemented Stan's suggestions. As of issue 8, Conan's sales rose and never fell, rapidly becoming one of Marvel's biggest sellers in the 70s and 80s and largely responsible for keeping the character's name in the public consciousness when reprints of the book ceased due to a legal problem in the mid to late 70s. Thomas was, in his own way, quite groundbreaking in his approach to the comics. There were to be no thought bubbles or sound effects, quite unusual for the time, and the strip seemed to appeal to a more mature reader than the standard Marvel comics of the era. It was also a solid hit on the newsstand, perhaps indicating that it didn't just appeal to more mature readers, but also to casual buyers and non-comics readers as well. As such, it was phenomenally successful, running for 275 issues until 1993. Along the way, Conan picked up a number of sister titles, such as the black and white magazine Savage Sword of Conan, which ran for 235 issues, King Conan, which ran for 55 issues, plus ancillary books like Treasury Editions and Annuals. Thomas wrote Conan for 10 years, concluding his initial run with issue 115, the 10th anniversary issue, although he would return to the character when Dark Horse Comics would pick up the license in 2003. The reason for picking Conan for this episode was twofold. One, we, as mentioned, enjoyed covering G.I. Joe, a property we didn't know or have any affinity for, and felt looking at other properties of that ilk may be fun and make for a different kind of show, as well as exploring comics outside of the superhero genre, an experiment that had gone down well when we did the No More Heroes series of episodes, available for download at twotruefreaks.com. And B... For a long time I have had on my bookshelf the Savage Sword of Conan Volume 1 Black and White Dark Horse reprint book that Angela bought me one Christmas, which reprints Savage Tales 1 through 5 and then Savage Sword of Conan 1 through 10, which looked absolutely gorgeous thanks to the art of Barry Windsor Smith, John Buscema, Jim Starlin and Alfredo Alcala amongst others, and I wanted an excuse to crack this book open. Purely randomly, I'd read the first story in this book, The Frost Giant's Daughter, just recently, simply by being bored one day, lifting it off the shelf and giving it a read. And these two events coalesced in my mind to create the show you are about to hear. Again, as with G.I. Joe, I reread the first story to get a feel for the character and his world. The Frost Giant's Daughter first appeared in Savage Tales No. 1, cover dated May 1971. It's an almost surrealistic tale of a battle-worn and weary Conan stumbling through the icy winter of Hyboria, where he discovers a near-naked girl. She leads him across the plains to her brother, where they try to kill Conan. But, even battle-scarred as he is, Conan fights them off. The girl runs away, and Conan manages to pull off the only item of clothing she is wearing, a silken scarf, and she eludes him. She prays to her father to rescue her from Conan, and disappears as Conan passes out. He is awakened by his fellow warriors, to whom he tells his tale. It is revealed that Conan saw Atali, daughter of the Frost Giant, who lures all weary warriors to their death. They all believed it to be in Conan's mind, the heat of battle and the cold of the night causing to hallucinate, but in Conan's hand, the silken scarf worn by Atali. What did you think of this one, Michael? Um, I, I actually quite liked it, um, but it was quite funny where this is the introductory issue, and the whole thing about first impressions count. Right? Yeah, go on. Well, my first uh, impression of Conan, of th- this issue, is that this entire issue is just Conan trying to rape a woman. Um, That's it. He's chasing her because he wants to go at her, and he, he keeps reminding us of that. And yeah, and there's rape. 
yeah. in the other one that I've picked as well, isn't it? That does he does mellow out on that as he goes along, and he does actually start respecting women a lot more mm. because. One theory that I have read in little research that I did for this, the Barry Windsor Smith stories are Conan younger than the John Buscema ones, because yeah. John Buscema drew him as a big hulking guy, mm. and Smith draws him as quite svelte, although still muscular. Yeah. So my theory for that is Conan, as he grew older, God. learned to be more respectful yeah. of women. Whereas, yes, the younger Conan is perhaps not there yet. Is it? Is it a bit... Bad that I found it a bit funny. It's a comic, I kind of. Well, <laughs> no, it is played for laughs. Certainly in the next tale we're going to discuss uh, cover. Yeah. And the women don't seem to object too much. And when they do, he still tries to push his luck. But yeah, it does seem to me once he meets Red Sonia, she puts him in his place a little bit. But does it's Red Sonia? If he says anything, she'll. Knifey's. Yeah, well, there's also there is a certain element of political correctness applied backwards, isn't there? Yeah. And I don't think it's fair to apply the standards of now to something that was a, written in 1971, yeah. but was in turn based on something written in 1933. That was in turn set yeah, in, in some mythical prehistoric yeah. times. Yeah. So, whilst. There is an element of when you read stuff like this now and the Ian Fleming Bond novels, there's yeah. elements of it now that make you go, ooh, that's a bit racist. But then the thing is, well, the thing it's is, a story. Well, that as well, but also you've got to think this was written at a time when that possibly was not racist yeah. or wasn't seen as racist, and I am all for not altering literature simply because it may be offensive now what was not offensive then. Mm. Do you know what I mean? To Kill a Mockingbird is still taught throughout schools. Yeah, see, so that's my thinking on it. Mm. I don't think we should alter art because what was offensive back then may be offensive now. Because, in my opinion, how can you show how much we have grown as a culture if you whitewash history? Yeah, well, isn't this what similar to what we were talking about on the Preacher show we did with uh, Mike Baylor? On views from the long box, possibly, but that's not gone live yet. On so <laughs> that's not out yet. So people haven't listened to that yet. But no. there's a tease. Yeah, yeah. But that's just my opinion. There are other people who no, think no, that I, I agree with it. Yeah, editing literature is fine. I don't agree with that, mm. and I don't because want. At the end of the day, it is a story. It's not offending you if it is. Yeah, close the book. Like I say, you you can't learn how much you have evolved as a culture. If you whitewash from history that, for example, blacks weren't allowed to travel on this bus because they were black. You have to learn from it. Yeah. Whereas now we look at that idea and we think that's just preposterous. They weren't allowed to drink at that water fountain because that was a white person's fountain. That's just ridiculous. But we wouldn't be able to say it's But we wouldn't be able to look back at that and say, yes, we still have a ways to go, but look how far we've come. Yeah. And whitewashing history doesn't sit well with me, and changing art to accommodate political correctness doesn't sit well with me as well. Mm. But I welcome other opinions on the matter. Back to Conan. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I really enjoyed this story as an introduction to Conan. Firstly, it was short, which is always a bonus, Mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned. I didn't have to read a six-part epic that led to an event that asked more questions than it answered. 
<laughs> I see what you did though. Thank you very much. Uh, in one 11 page story, I was given a complete tale that gave me everything I needed to know. Granted, Conan isn't the most complex character <laughs> to ever grace the pages of a comic. He fights, he likes <laughs> women, he drinks. Yeah. That's pretty much it. But I enjoyed that Conan seemed more younger. A lot more younger, sorry, in this story than I had envisioned when I picked this collection up. There's also a hint of the beast about him. Yeah. Whilst Tatali is deliberately leading him on, what with her wearing no clothes, there's no... get cold. Well, one would have thought so, especially since it's winter. But none of them were much, do they? (laughs) Conan don't wear a lot. Well, Conan's all muscly and he's just been fighting people, so... So he may be a bit sweater. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you're saying? She's just running naked. Yeah, she's just running around naked. I mean, like you said, it's not left to the imagination what he will do with her when he catches her. Because he he reminds you every panel. Yes, because he does have a very animalistic quality. The prose by Roy Thomas is evocative and compelling and the art by a young Barry Windsor Smith is simply gorgeous. Secondly, the story is more complex than it might at first appear, with its supernatural overtones, and there's an awful lot left unexplored and left to the reader. All told, I thought this was excellent. You've also got to consider this wasn't the first Conan story published. Yeah, it was just... Savage Sword of Conan was a spin-off of Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. The feeling being that they could do more mature stories here. Mm. So, I didn't think this was a bad first story to read. To no, be honest no. with you, I didn't feel lost or anything. Well, maybe it was a yeah, it's a spin-off, but maybe the people never read Conan, so yeah, maybe it's appealing to an audience that may have never read the Conan the Barbarian comic. Uh, Barry Windsor Smith started his career as simply Barry Smith, born in Forest Gate, London, in 1949. Smith started his career as a Jack Kirby knockoff, with work published in UK reprint titles Fantastic and Terrific, before coming to the attention of Roy Thomas, who gave him work despite Smith being deported back to the UK in December of 1969. After work on the Avengers, Daredevil, Nick Fury, Smith was assigned Conan, where his work grew and developed in leaps and bounds. Similarly to how Bill Sinkovich started as a decent Neil Adams clone before becoming utterly magnificent, Smith's art followed the same trajectory, becoming almost unrecognisable from his early stuff, but in the process, becoming a comics artist with a style completely unlike anyone else in the industry. Did you like his art? I did, but um, flicking through the omnibus. Mm. Well, it's an essential or a showcase, isn't it? But Dark yeah. Horse doesn't seem to have named them. Um, I think there's some of the artists later on who are more detailed, who I think are better. John Buscema is the primary artist. Well, I, I'm not sure. In later issues, like that. That's John Buscema and Alfredo, Alfredo Alcala. I've yeah. just flipped at random to page 169. Alfredo Alcala is a magnificent inker. He's a lot darker in his inks. There's heavy blacks yeah. and lots of shading. And uh, this is a really excellent story that I've just flicked to. Um, Black Colossus, it's called. Because after reading these stories, I carried on reading this essential showcase, whatever you want to call it. You know, reading this at the same time I was reading Fatal, I am thinking this could take place in the, the Lovecraft world. It does. Does it? Robert E. Howard corresponded regularly with H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. And there was connections, apparently... I've never read Robert E. Howard's Conan stories, mm. but apparently there are connections to the Cthulhu mythology. Okay. So there is 
I'm not going to say they exist in the same universe, but, but there are thematic links and, and stuff like that. Mm. So that's not coincidence. Colossus, uh, not Colossus, Conan was at the Mountains of Madness. Yeah, very possible. Mm. And so to the choice of Conan tale picked for today's show. Not knowing anyone who was an ardent Conan fan, and I apologise, lovely listeners, if you are an ardent Conan fan, I just didn't know it. <laughs> to get in touch with you. We didn't have anyone to reach out to to steer us in the direction of which Conan stories to look at. To that end, I looked through my trade. Like I say, it's practically an essential or a showcase. uh, To see what issues lay therein, and then have a look at which of these stories were landmarks are worthy of discussion. One of the first stories in the book is Red Nails, originally published in Savage Tales 2 and 3, cover dated October 1973 and February 1974. Looking at lists of top ten Conan stories, this was always near the top, and has been reprinted numerous times, including in the Marvel Treasure Edition number four from 1975. Red Nails is considered one of the best Robert E. Howard stories originally seen printing Weird Tales from July to October 1936, and one of the best of Marvel's adaptations. Adapted with aplomb by Roy Thomas and Barry Smith, Windsor Less for this story, it was even an almost an animated feature that got so far as casting Ron Perlman as Conan <laughs> and Mark Hamill, although it seems to have languished in development hell since 2007. I actually think that's pretty damn good casting. Yeah. I'd read in it, I did wonder who Mark Hamill was going to play. He, he'd be... Um, I presume he'd be King Olmec. Yeah, yeah. I presume. I presume he'd be the bad guy. Ron Perlman was cast as Conan. <laughs> It'd be a much older Conan if it was Ron Perlman. It's it's animated, dude. I, I guess, but... It's just the voice. Ron Perlman's got a very old voice. Well, there's nothing to say that the Conan in, in this couldn't be a bit older than the Conan in The Frost Giant's Daughter. Non-linear order. Yeah, well, these stories bounce around all over the place. There's no continuity to these whatsoever. Yeah. Which has helped me in reading them. Because it's you just can dip in and out. Yeah, you just dip in and out, and it's like a James Bond film. You can watch one; it's a self-contained story. It doesn't matter. Hmm. All you need to know is Conan is a barbarian <laughs> who sells his sword for money when necessary, but by and large, is just travelling the earth like Cain from Kung Fu. Hmm. He, he never spent much time in the uh, in school, but he. <laughs> but he's taught ladies he plenty. He's taught bandits plenty. <laughs> He puts his sword out for sale. Hey, hey. It's only hey. <laughs> Conan, the fall guy, starring Lee Majors as Conan. Every <laughs> <laughs> stab somebody. That would be awesome. If he swings his sword. Buy a crumb. Bigfoot. <laughs> Conan versus Bigfoot. I'm loving these pictures. <laughs> Woo! Oh no, Cthulhu! <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> Get Universal on the on the on the phone. This needs to happen. The covers. Following the success of the Conan strip in Savage Tales, Conan was awarded with his own black and white magazine, Savage Sword of Conan, whilst the lead strip in Savage Tales was Kazar the Savage. Marvel experimented with a number of black and white magazines in the 70s, such as Planet of the Apes, Rampaging Hulk, and Master of Kung Fu. 
All these magazines boasted higher than usual production values, more mature storytelling, mostly, and gorgeous painted covers. The covers to Savage Tales 1 and 2 are by John Buscema, and issue 3 is by Pablo Marcus. The black and white essential I have is a lovely reproduction in most cases. The early parts of the Frost Giant's daughter look a bit washed out, but the production quality improves over the course of the the book. But it truly doesn't do the covers justice. And I urge you, check them out on Mike's Amazing World, or or just Google them, because the, the... the covers for these are fantastic, aren't they? Mm. Frank Frazetta did some, and Neil Adams did some, and the, the brilliant pieces of, of art. Forget comic art. Yeah. The magnificent pieces of art. Red Nails Part 1 has no subtitle. Valeria of the Red Brotherhood rests her horse after a weary trip, which involved her killing an officer who dared lay a hand upon her back in Sukhumet. Whilst her horse takes a drink, Valeria climbs a nearby rocky outcropping, stumbling upon the skeletons of dead men as she goes, and upon reaching the summit, she spies a walled city, miles from civilization. Intrigued, she ponders visiting, but after returning to the ground, is accosted by Conan. The mighty Sumerian informs her that he followed her, for he finds her desirable. Along the way, he slit the throat of a man pursuing her for vengeance, the officer's brother, and now he has lusty needs. He's enlightened, is Conan. Valeria warns him off, but they are interrupted by the cry of a dragon eating their horses. Conan and Valeria move in, but the dragon is far too large, and they both climb the rocky outcropping to escape its ravenous maw. Valeria realises the skeleton is a man, who previously strayed upon the dragon's patch and died of starvation, especially when Conan points out that the nearby fruit are the apples of a Durkerta, and poisonous. Valeria shows Conan the walled city, but Conan fears they will receive no help from them. Conan is still thinking with his pork sword, and Valeria bats him off, and Conan, frustrated, formulates a plan. He dips his sword in the juices of the Durkerta apples, not the sword he wanted to dip, nor the juices, and then ties said sword to a large branch. Lowering himself to the dragon, Conan manages to stab the beast repeatedly in the mouth, slowly poisoning the creature. Conan and Valeria leave the outcropping and the beast pursues them, as Conan finishes the job started by the poison. With no horses and trapped at the corner of No and Were, Conan and Valeria decide to try their luck in the walled city. As night falls, they rest, and come the dawn approach the city gates. Conan notices there are no crops, no roads, nothing to indicate civilization, and when they break into the city gates, this suspicion is confirmed. Whilst the city is domed and ornate, there are no signs of life. Conan continues to explore as Valeria rests for a spell, but she is awakened by the sounds of sword on sword. She follows the noise and spies a fight between man and skeleton creature, deformed of head, demonic. As the man is slain, another ventures in, and Valeria intervenes, slicing at the skeleton with blade of iron. The skeleton falls as if it were a man, and Valeria's new friend, Tek Otl, tells Valeria that the clan Zotaloink may be creeping up on them as they speak for slaying one of their own. Tecotl also tells Valeria that the skull of the slain also freezes the blood and withers the brain of all who gaze upon it, and to touch brings madness and death. As if to lend credence to the words, Valeria finds herself under the spell of the skull, and to regain her composure, she smashes it with the hilt of her sword. A staggering wind rages around them as if it were the screams of a man, and Valeria and Tecotl flee to find Conan and leave this dread place.
End of part one. I suppose I should say, shouldn't I? Uh, the opening shot is a splash page, an absolutely gorgeous pin-up by Smith of Conan, crouched on a mountaintop, sword in one hand, spear in another, looking like he's ready to pounce. It's got nothing to do whatsoever with the story that follows. Mm. It's a good piece of art, though. Oh, yeah. Isn't it? I prefer that to the cover. Do you? Mm. Oh, I like the cover. The cover of the book? Or the cover of this issue? The issue. Oh, right, okay. The lettering states simply Conan the Barbarian and Robert E. Howard's red nails and the creator credit is a lovely swirly font style with Howard's name in a scroll. I thought it was beautiful. Mm. I really did like that. Bit of Neil Adams to it. Yeah. But very definitely not Neil Adams. I liked it. I thought it was really good. A little bit of Neil Adams, but a lot not. A little bit lot, but yeah. That, yeah, that, yeah. What you just said. <laughs> what am I talking about? Page 22... In the... In the... This essential that I'm reading. I'll try not to confuse you too much with the page numbers. Uh, the beginning of the story is almost idyllic, with Valeria dismounting her ride and basking in the warm sun and the magnificent surrounding. Smith's art is incredibly detailed, so much so the reader can feel the heat and smell the foliage. She's got a bit of a mannish face, though, hasn't she? A little bit, yeah. Maybe that's what women look like. Well, I have now watched Conan the Barbarian in the Arnold Schwarzenegger film. I was going to save that till the end. But um, Sandal Bergman has a bit of a mannish face as well. So maybe that's what... When women were men and men were men. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone was men. Everyone was a man. Uh, Thomas does an excellent job on the next page with foreshadowing, sto- foreshadowing story beats throughout the entire three parts of the story. While some are predictable... Others, such as the skeleton Valeria casually brushes past as she climbs the rock face, is subtle, and there's no signposting that this will become more than it is a few pages down the line. There are a couple of references to the black people that live in huts and dwell in this unexplored region. That seems a rather strange turn of phrase to modern readers. Um, As we mentioned earlier on, I'm glad it was left in, as changing it for more enlightened, hopefully, we're more enlightened now, uh, times I often feel is a misstep. Yeah, I was reading that and I was like, that's a bit... That's a bit, uh... Off. And he mentions it twice. That phrase comes up twice. Mm. And it's... And it's I don't know. I don't get that Conan is an ist of any kind. I don't get that Conan cares. Yeah. If you fight well, <laughs> or shag well... <laughs> Conan's fine with you. I don't think Conan's bothered about anything like that. Conan appears as if out of nowhere, having tracked Valeria simply because he wants to have sex with her. Granted, along the way we learn that he slit the throat of a man hunting Valeria, so he figures this is his just reward. There's some good backstory given in less than three panels as we learn who Valeria is, what she's done and why she's fleeing, and that she's more than capable of handling herself. Conan's chat-up technique, I want you a woman... (laughs) isn't much different from the average male approach even now, especially in town on a Friday night. His follow-up wasn't much better, was it? Be sensible, wench. I won't hurt you. That's not a surefire way to get in a girl's pants, is it? Well, when... Although it works for Conan! Yeah, when... So... When, when women were men... <laughs> when men were men and women were men. Maybe the women had the same approach to her. Yeah, maybe she was just like, oh, go on, man. <laughs> Come on, boy, I won't hurt. 
Uh, pages 25 through 31. I have no idea what pages these are of the actual story. The scene with the dragon attacking goes on for a number of pages. It's very exciting and well drawn. After eating the horses, the dragon attacks and Conan and Valeria flee back up the mountain after deducing that the dragon can't climb. The skeleton from earlier implies they are not the first travellers to try this as it looks like it died of starvation as Valeria can see no signs of damage to the body from sword attacks. Valeria wonders how we died of starvation when there are apples all around and Conan then points out the apples are poisonous. Conan is shown the city before he then tries it on again with Valeria. So, in the middle of being hunted by a huge dinosaur, in what looks like no possible way of getting away, Conan's first thought is to think with his It's not like we can go anywhere, so... <laughs> so that's your defence, it's not like we can go anywhere, Valeria, so come on, get him out. He's only got one place to go. <laughs> oh, dear. Are you as enlightened as Conan? <laughs> Apparently so. Apparently, yeah. there's, a, there's, a, there's a dinosaur down there, but you know what? Well, I did like as well, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, when she rebuffs him, the blood rushes back to his head, and then he breaks some branches from the tall trees all around, douses his sword in the poison, ties it to the branch, creating a spear that he then stabs the dragon with, which I thought was a good scene, showing Conan's cunning and setting up that without the horses, they've got nowhere else to go but the city. The traps in the... They can't go back. Yeah. Because she's now a wanted woman, and presumably Conan will be wanted for slitting the guy's throat. So they've got nowhere to go but forward. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, if I wasn't sold on this series before, now that there's a dinosaur in it... Yeah! Because that is pretty cool. It's Conan versus a dinosaur. It's just a dinosaur being in it. Because you know I'm quite fond of dinosaurs. I, I am aware of your fondness for dinosaurs. As we yeah. shall see soon. Yes. Those are teas. well done. Uh, the city, once they get to it, is all indoors. There are no... It's roofed, isn't it? Domed. So this seems to surprise Conan and Valeria. There's some groovy lingo in this story. By crumb! Seems to have entered the vernacular, so I presume it's similar to Superman saying Great Row. But Stygian guards, presumably guards of a gloomy place rather than they themselves are dull or gloomy. Yeah. I presume that's what it means. Has has Bicrom now become another one of our doom likes? Bicrom! <laughs> well, <laughs> he says it all the time, doesn't he? Yeah. Bicrom! Or Mitra! <laughs> Bicrom! That's some great food. <laughs> it's, it's equivalent of frack and felgacar. <laughs> By crumb! Those yeah. are some great bargains. Conan <laughs> <laughs> <down> the advertiser. <laughs> By crumb, that's a great part. Now come here, Valeria. I would have <laughs> Oh, Conan, you enlightened bastard, you. Is it, is it a line later on? Or have we already gone past it where he says, put that sword away or I'll spank you with it? Yeah. <laughs> Good old Kona. Uh, page 35. One of the recurring motifs in this story is that Valeria keeps falling asleep. She sleeps all night before they enter the city. She then dozes off again when Conan explodes the wall city and she has an erotic dream when she's assigned her quarters later on in part two. I don't know what this says about her, if it says anything at all, but I found it amusing. Mm. <laughs> Any time she was left alone, she thought, I'm having a nap. <laughs> Past the time. Yeah, fair enough. Pages 36 through 41, after entering the city, Valeria and Conan split up and look for treasure. And Conan is taken out of the story for a good six pages. Which was good, because it gave Valeria a chance to strut her stuff, as although we've been told 
she's as capable of that as any man. So far, all we've done is seen her be rescued by Conan. It also shows that Conan is probably really the central protagonist in his own stories. If a story is about a character arc, then by definition a character has to change over the course of that story, and really it's the hero, be it Superman, James Bond, or Sherlock Holmes. These characters are normally the satellite that the other characters in the story orbit around. Anyway, Valeria proves her worth, killing the skeleton attacker and saving Tecotl, and foreshadowing why he will give his life for her, spoilers, later in the story. There's a decent moment of horror when Tecotl tells Valeria about the curse of the skull, and it nearly possesses her. Valeria's strength of will and prowess are important in establishing she's not just a damsel that needs Conan to rescue her. I was very disappointed with the the, the skull guy, though. Why? Because I thought he was really cool. He looked really cool. He looked quite uh, really scary. There was that mystery around him, and then she kills him. He's just a normal bloke. Um, Yeah, but the the moment before that where he's possessing her was really well done. The skull itself is pretty cool, but the skull monster thing was also really cool. Just disappointing that it was a normal guy. Right, okay, fair enough. I like that she says City of Death later on, implying that she's watched episodes of Doctor Who. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. Did, did they have Doctor Who back They now? have Doctor Who in high well, of course they do, he can travel in time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Takes episodes of his own show with him. <laughs> uh, the cliffhanger ending where Valeria leaves to find Conan accompanied by Tecotl is a bit misleading, as we'll see in part two. Mm. Doctor Who, the doctor went back and gave people fire. <laughs> and the wheel. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, very good first instalment, raising a number of questions and setting up the story very well. Thomas builds the mystery of who lives in the walled city and what all these possessed skeletons are about adroitly. And Smith's art is stunning throughout. The violence is mostly off-panel. One beheading was not seen, only the headless body lying in a pool of blood. But the savage nature of Conan is well explored, and his character's intelligence in dealing with the dragon was a nice touch. What did you think of part one, Mike? I thought it was good. I liked I liked the dinosaur, and I liked the skull guy. Dinosaur and skull guy? Dinosaur and skull guy. Like TC and the chicken? Th- that's, that's another... <laughs> Another TV show. Another TV show that we need to pitch. Yeah. Part two, the lurker from the catacombs. Conan arrives as Valeria is fighting more Zotalankas as Tecotl watches. Conan aids Valeria and the warriors are killed as Tecotl dances a jig, claiming five more red nails for the black pillar. Valeria explains the situation to Conan. There are two warring factions, both living at different ends of the city, the Zotolankans and the Tekultu, and the threesome make their way to Tekulti, where they are greeted by Prince Olmec and Princess Taskela, who fill them in on all this backstory. More than 50 years ago, the backstory runs, a rebel tribe were defeated and fled the city, happening upon the walled city. A slave, Tolkemec, from inside the city, struck a deal with the rebels and let them in in exchange for freedom, and with battles swiftly won by the rebels, specifically two brothers, Tekulti and Zotalank, and for five years they lived as one tribe. Zotalank took a wife who Tekulti desired, and the treacherous slave from earlier, Tolkemec, helped Zotalank steal her. It was brother versus brother in mortal combat whilst Tolkemec played both sides against the middle. But the Tecultis stormed in and both brothers were slain. Tolkemec dispatched to the catacombs, never to be seen again, and the feud continues to this day. Go 
Jordan feels this is no concern of his, but before he can leave, Olmec offers him wealth if he and Valeria stay to help win the battle. Conan, feeling money is money, agrees, but later that night, Valeria is accosted in her quarters by Princess Tescala. Valeria fights her off and then tortures her to find out what she desired, but Princess Tescala escapes to the same catacombs where Tolkemet was last seen. The Zotalankans attack at that moment, and Conan and Valeria stand ready, and pitched battle follows with the Zotalankans defeated, and the Tekultis standing victorious. Conan wonders if this is indeed all the Zotalankans, and Olmec pauses, but then sends Conan and two warriors to check. With Conan gone, Olmec takes Valeria unawares and kills Takotl, who witnesses the craven attack, leaving him with a dagger in his back. Conan and the two warriors battle crawlers and other beasties and happen upon a room filled with preserved severed heads, a sight which drives one of the Telcultian warriors mad when he spots his brother's head amidst the congregation. As Conan battles the madman, the second warrior attacks Conan, telling him Olmec ordered Conan's death. Conan kills both men. Back at the city, Olmec tries it on with Valeria, but Princess Tescala reappears, drugs Olmec, and decides she wants Valeria for herself. <laughs> yes. Uh, the cliffhanger ending from part one is a bit of a damp squib as Valeria and Tecotl don't so much go looking for Conan as he hears them caught in another fight and comes to their aid. Mm. It's not like they find him, is it? No. He rocks back up and saves their ass. Uh, a nitpicky note. The title was The Thing from the Catacombs in the next issue blurred from last time, not The Lurker from the Catacombs, which the issue is actually called. Both parts two and part three appeared in Savage Tales 3, although both are full-length stories, with part two running to 25 pages and part three running to 11 pages. Both also have creator credits on them, implying they were originally supposed to run over two separate issues. I wonder why they did that. Don't know. Maybe a strip for Savage Tales number three fell through. Yeah. So they inserted the Conan tale in, in, instead. Page 45... Valeria beheads one of the, the Zotalankas, which is quite tastefully done off-panel. Mm. You see her hold the her. She swipes the sword. The body falls away. Page 47. I was a little bit disappointed that for all of Valeria's prowess and ability, it was still her who tripped over the skeleton head. Yeah. Like, oh, my ankle! <laughs> and uh, not the far less experienced Takotl. I was a bit disappointed by that. Mm. That she's supposed to be a warrior. Maybe she's a warrior, but Clumsy. Yeah, a clumsy warrior. <laughs> clumsy warrior. Uh, the sound of the, splattering, the clattering skeletons brings forth the crawler for Conan and Valeria to battle. I've seen a skipped in the synopsis because, well, it would have been Conan and Valeria fight, and it's not that necessary to the narrative, especially as we never see the crawler. It chases Conan and company from off-panel, never actually making an appearance. Tecotl says it is a creature much feared but never seen. But there doesn't seem to be any real payoff to this. Conan slashes at it, and then they escape. And then at the end of this chapter, Conan stumbled on its dead body. Yeah, well, I was a bit disappointed with that. I kind of liked the, the scene where you never get to see it. But when Conan says, oh, I hacked it and it's dead now. Yeah, that was a bit of a cop-out, <laughs> yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. With anti-climax. I was expecting that to be a big battle scene later on. And yeah. they just, oh, he's dead. I must have stabbed it earlier. Hey, gift! No, I, I, I just kind of liked it being unseen. The fact that I, I'm alright with Conan killing it with one slash as long as we didn't see it later. What, like, if we just ignored it? Oh, what would be even better was it chased them. We still never saw it. 
Conan slashed, but it didn't connect to anything. Mm, what, and it just ran away? And he was like, by Crom! <laughs> it escaped into the darkness! Mithra! <laughs> Um, page 49 is one of the real bad pieces of dialogue in the book. <laughs> the crawler! <laughs> screams a guard as Tekotl guides Conan and Valeria to the city of Tekulte. <laughs> it was almost as unintentionally funny as Aunt May's face in that superior Spider-Man, uh, superior cosmic Spider-Man issue. <laughs> What would you do if you had the power of life and death? I'd have a stroke, apparently! <laughs> so, it's just... Did you think the crawler would wait forever? The crawler! It's just... Uh, that was the only bum note in this entire story, that. I just... I didn't, I didn't buy that at all. I thought that was a bit... Uh, He's a bit of a girly man, isn't he? I mean, what would you do with the power of life and death? The crawler! <laughs> recovers uh, page 50 <laughs> Princess Tescala seems to be wearing Princess Leia's gold bikini did you notice maybe they all shop in the same mall as Dejah Thoris <laughs> <laughs> that's my thinking after listening to Olmec's tale Conan turns to leave completely uninterested yep. I loved that realistically why would Conan stick around this isn't his fight, there's nothing in it for him until Olmec offers him all the jewels he can carry. And then his response was just as funny as soon as kill Zolta Lankers as anything else. <laughs> if I'm going to kill something, I might as well get paid for it. Which seems fair enough to me. Uh, page 54. <clears throat> Conan and Valeria are shown to separate bedchambers. Much to Conan's displeasure. Mm. <laughs> <That> was... <laughs> I really didn't think that was funny. When uh, Conan's like, yeah, he's got Princess Tascala to keep him warm. I've got no bugger. Mm. Which I thought was great. Um, but what follows is a scene not only with quite incredible lesbianic overtones, but an incredible dream sequence where Valeria dreams have been stalked by a giant black blossom drawn to resemble female reproductive anatomy. Valeria is also seemingly drawn to be topless. It turns out to be a woman, Yasala, trying to drug Valeria with black blossom, and Valeria takes her, binds her to the bed, and then whips her. Yeah. There's a high level of eroticism in this scene. Anyway, she escapes... Conan's a bit annoyed he wasn't there. Conan's very annoyed that he wasn't there. (laughs) Anyway, she escapes about... Bonds, sorry, and flees to the catacombs where she presumably dies. Which is just as well as the Zotalankas choose this moment to attack. And we get a huge brutal fight scene here in the middle of the story. Mm. Instead of at the climax. I also cocked up in the synopsis it was Yazala who came to seduce Valeria here. I said it was Tascala in the synopsis. Yeah, didn't I? Uh, The title of the story is giving meaning after the battle. Which is a magnificently rendered fight scene by Smith. For every Zota Lankan killed, a red nail is pounded into a black column. So that's where the title of the story comes from. Uh, page 61, following the battle, a blood-stained Conan is dispatched to see if there are any Zota Lankas left alive in a scene which is expertly executed. Olmec is certain they are all dead. 
The fighting pattern is not to split up, but to attack as a pack. And then he hesitates before agreeing with Conan that there may be more. He's then seen ordering two men to accompany Conan, and is very briefly seen whispering to them. It was a very subtle and extremely well done by Roy Thomas and Barry Windsor Smith. He doesn't cry attention to it. Yeah. That he's paused for a minute and then he's gone, Ah, Conan, you are correct. Go and see if there are more of them. Yeah. So you're instantly going, Hmm, something's awry here. But you see why Conan didn't spot it. So yeah. I thought that was quite well done. I liked that a lot. Page 62, Tecotl is killed by Olmec after witnessing his treachery with Valeria. For a moment, I did think that Olmec and Tascola were in league together and up to something, but Olmec's desires were far baser than Tascala's. Tecotl didn't really have much point, but I was quite sad to see him get gutted like that. Yeah. He seemed to be the only honourable one of a lot of them. At least the Olmec knocked him out and then stabbed him. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it wasn't all that great when he woke up with a knife in his back. No, no, that would have been a bummer for him, <laughs> one would imagine. Oh, yeah. That would have been quite a disappointing <laughs> morning. Oh, Bloody hell, what, 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 what did I get up to last night? Again? <laughs> Another oh, one of those heck. morning after the night before. Uh, I was unclear. I mean, maybe you could shed some light on this. I was unclear stumbling on the severed heads of the ancient warriors. Was that part of Olmec's plan? Or not? Or even what was the purpose of it? I mean, seeing his brother's head drives one of the guards mad, and Conan lurks of Olmec's treachery largely through dumb luck, which was a rare rough patch in the storytelling. I would have much preferred Conan figuring it out himself. But I didn't I didn't get this bit. Was this was it dumb luck that they stumbled upon all these heads and one of them was his brother? Or? I'm assuming so, because he doesn't actually say go to the severed headroom no (laughs) (laughs) and if he did say go to the severed headroom then you think that the guy wouldn't know his brother's head was up it's also a bit creepy that he picks his brother's decapitated head up and starts cuddling it (laughs) I thought that was maybe in his his crazed senses he's like yeah I'm crazy come here brother's head (laughs) I will cuddle thee (laughs) You could be my teddy bear in bed tonight. Yeah. And it's here that they discover the crawler dead. Yeah. Like, in a really anticlimactic moment. Ah, stabbed it early. Brilliant. (laughs) Ah, it is a greatly feared crawler that always lurks in the darkness. I killed it. I killed it by accident. (laughs) This terrifying beast that no one's ever seen. Stabbed it earlier. It's excellent. No, no big ace. Yeah, no big deal. Random swing of my sword. Wasn't it, man? <laughs> Wasn't even intended. Yeah. Uh, I, I have to admit, I enjoyed part two as much as part one with one caveat. I started to get really quite confused with the names of the characters and the cities, not helped by them all having names that began with T or X. Prince Olmec stands out simply because he had a different sounding name, but all the others start blurring into one after a while. X1, X2, T1, T2. Especially seen as the names of the brothers is also an abbreviated name of the cities. Yeah. And then everyone has the names coming from the city. Yeah, and everyone has a name beginning with T. (laughs) So there's Tecotl and Tescal and the Teloxicans, and it's it's all a bit confusing, to be honest with you. Uh, that aside, this avoids the pitfalls of most middle chapters by pulling an Empire Strikes Back and having the big, what I thought would be climactic battle in this chapter rather than at the end. 
Some of the exposition of how the city came to be is a little much, but it's only two pages and bit Smith's art is still gorgeous. Obviously, just from reading this backstory, the reader is clued up that Olmec's not what he seems to be, and that Tolkemec isn't going to be as dead as they all claim. But there are some good plot twists and turns, and some during subtext for the time of publication. Or was it just me that, that got lesbian subtext from that dream sequence? No, because I was, I was kind of thinking that, but uh, you know what? I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. She's dreaming of a big flower. Okay. <laughs> no lesbian overtones there, then. Oh, no. <laughs> That's like me dreaming of a giant spire. Isn't it? I, I, I guess. I've never had that dream. <laughs> but I would imagine that it was... It was, it was Man, what a big spire. Bloody hell, you're trying to poison me! <laughs> <laughs> Part three. He comes from the dark. Conan returns to the city where he stumbles upon Tecotl, who has managed to drag himself despite his injuries to find Conan. What's matter? He didn't come in the dark. He comes from the dark. It's a completely different thing. <laughs> With his dying breath, he tells Conan about Olmec and Valeria, and it all starts to make sense to Conan, who, resolute, makes his way to find Valeria. He locates Olmec in an old torch device and frees him, saying to take him to Valeria lest Olmec wishes to taste sword. Olmec takes Conan, explaining along the way that Princess Tescala is a witch, taught the secret of eternal youth aeons ago, and that for the spell to continue she needs to remove the life force from a new young woman. As they approach the entrance to the catacombs, however, Olmec spies his chance and shoves Conan in, but Conan's panther-like reflexes cause him to whirl at the last second, grabbing a hold of Olmec's arm and pulling him with him. The two combatants tumble down the concrete stairs and Conan manages to place his hands around Olmec's throat, choking the life out of him as they smash through the barrier at the bottom of the stairs. Conan stands victorious in a huge throne room, now transformed into a temple of human sacrifice in the preservation of a witch's eternal youth. And in the centre, surrounded by the surviving members of the Tekeltal clan, a naked Valeria is tied to a stone table. Conan attacks without thought, failing to see an iron trap which coils around his foot. Trapped, Conan watches helplessly as Tescala moves towards Valeria, stroking a knife down her body. She is about to plunge the weapon into Valeria's breast when the long-thought-dead Tolkemec walks in, now more skeletal than man and quite insane. In his hand, the jade-hued wand that fires crimson rays of fire really, killing off the Tecotl and Conan notes with each barrage that the wand needs metal between it and its target to work. Valeria uses the confusion to escape her bonds as Tascala frees Conan, the only man left alive to fight for her. Conan and Tolkemec face off in heated battle, both men equally matched until Conan lures Tolkemec in close to fire the wand at him. As he does, Conan rolls under the ray, hurling a blade deep into Tolkemec's heart, and as he falls to the floor, the wand rolls away. As Valeria dons a gown from the dead, Tascala picks up the wand and prepares to fire it at Conan, but before the fatal blast can be fired, Valeria stabs Tascala in the back. Conan and Valeria decide they want no part of this vile place, nor of its riches, instead leaving for a nearby port to show the world what plundering means. By crumb. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't want to meet Conan, as everyone he meets seems to end up dead. <laughs> Case in point, poor Tecotl. He crawls, for God knows how long, in his own blood with a knife in his back, 
to warn Conan. How he knew where Conan would be, it's probably best not thought about. Yeah. Poor bloke. I mean, can you imagine if he'd come across the severed headroom? <laughs> he'd have gone, Ah, oh, my brother! Oh, I'm dead. Either that or, My brother said, Aye! <laughs> That would totally work. Aye! Uh, rather than kill Olmec outright, Tescala has tied him to a medieval torture rack wearing nothing but a loincloth with an iron ball slowly being lowered towards his head. Conan releases him as only Olmec knows how to get back into the city. Conan ends up killing him in a few pages anyway, so it didn't really matter. I kind of like that torture device. Every time he moves, the ball comes The ball lowers off. down, yeah. It was clever. In a even if grotesque you, even kind of way. You don't move, you can kind of starve to death, I guess. Yeah, I suppose. Either way, he's not looking good for him, is it? Oh. I wouldn't have thought. Uh, Conan arrives at the Temple of Doom, which is really what it looks like. Yeah. It? it really does look like the Temple of Doom. No, 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 no. Yeah, I was expecting Moloram. Moloram. Moloram Sudaram. Aye! As he pulls his heart out. Yeah. Uh, he gets trapped in one of those iron traps that they use for catching burrs, which seems a little bit clumsy. Yeah, a burr trap. That'd be the one. Uh, this seemed a little bit clumsy of it. Yeah. To be honest with you. Especially considering it's not even there on the panel before it. No, well, he steps on a loose rock, which becomes the trap. So it's not like it's just lying on the floor. Yeah. Maybe it's swivelled over. Right or... on the floor of the sign saying, don't yeah. stand on this. Trap, avoid. Yeah. <laughs> God, I misses it. Oh, I'm not a trap. <laughs> I'm not, please, I'm not me. It was, the only thing that would have made that better when it hits him in his foot, he went, <laughs> Ah, bye, crumb. <laughs> me trap. <laughs> He's distracted, though, isn't he? Because, you know, Valeria's strapped completely naked on a sacrifice table. So that probably caught his eye. Knowing Conan. He doesn't care about the sacrificial things behind it. <laughs> no, he's just bondage and naked women. Wait! Um, and he's busy calling Tascala a slut. Yeah. As we've pointed out, Conan is enlightened. <laughs> yeah. He's an enlightened man, is Conan. A man of many words. <laughs> a man of no words, actually. <laughs> when he does talk, he's funny. Yeah. He's smarter in this than he is in the film. I'll, I'll talk about the film later. Bye, Crom. Bye, Crom. <laughs> um, it comes as a surprise to absolutely no one that Tolkemec is still alive and he resurfaces just as Tescaler is about to start the ceremony. And after eliminating a number of Tescaler's followers with the Wand of Doom, she frees Conan to help her. Conan does free her, but not for any reason other than self-preservation. The last battle is exceptionally well done by Smith, and Conan is also quite intelligent, figuring out how the wand works, and then luring Tolkemec into a place where he can use it to his own advantage. I thought it was quite clever of him yeah. to do that, because he lures him in, doesn't he? Mm. Gets him cocky and then brings him in. There was a thing with the, the, the magic wand... Where I was kind of like, okay, I can get behind your whole skeleton demon dudes and your you guys who should be dead but aren't dead and your witches, but a wand that shoots fire. But the wand of Watum was too much for you, was it? Your suspension of disbelief cracks at that point. The dragon, the dinosaur, absolutely no the problem dragon, accepting that. dinosaurs existed, you know? <laughs> but the wand of Watum, yeah. that was far too Looking much. Looking like a jade rod. <laughs> Fire. Is that not what the Hulk says when he's looking to get lucky? Look at my jade rod! 
but, but it needs uh, metal in between it. It's a bit of a design flaw, and so metal in between you and the target. Yeah. What would he have done if this entire Temple of Doom was just rock? Yeah, what, what, what if he was set out fighting outside? He'd have been out of luck, wouldn't he? Yeah. Behold my jade rod. Work. That needs metal to work. Shazam. Damn. Shazam. <laughs> <laughs> By the hoary hosts of Hoggoth. And he's doing all that funny thing with his hand. I have the power. <laughs> By the Grace power God. of Conan. <laughs> I have the power. Uh, Valeria gets to kill Tascala and she and Conan leave to plunder. She's not been in any further stories that I've read after this, so I don't know if she comes back somewhere. She's, she's still plundering. Probably. Oh, she got she got caught and um, killed for her crimes. Do you think Conan's plundering her depths? Well, maybe. Well, <laughs> maybe she was caught and then they said, "Oh, you two, we're gonna arrest you." And Conan's like, "Oh no, you ain't catching me." Between those leaves, up. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Conan would do that. She wasn't pun that, was she? She was by the end of the story, dude. Let's be honest. She's not... Uh... Yeah, just not to the same gender as Kona. Well, possibly. I thought this was a truly marvellous comic book. I really did. I thought this was brilliant. Why the hell have I never read Conan before? This was wonderful. Roy Thomas does a grand job with the script, cutting it down into three acts perfectly. And I would pay it the compliment this reads as a much more modern comic than it is. But in fact, this is better than 90% of more modern comics. I never really had much of an opinion of Roy Thomas before. I didn't dislike his writing. In fact, I quite enjoyed it, but he did seem very schooled by Stan. But with this strip, Thomas seems to have found his own voice. Having never read the Robert E. Howard originals, I can't attest to its faithfulness, but it reads pretty well in comics form, with perhaps only the expository backstory section in part two betraying its literary roots. The story deals with eternal themes, despite the fantasy settings. Exotal is a dead city populated by dying people, obsessed with old grudges at the expense of living in the now, and of course it leads to the downfall. Get busy living or get busy dying, as Andy Dufresne once said. Tescala's quest for eternal youth is a slightly cliched story idea nowadays, but it will have been new at the time of the story's original publication. And despite this, it's still a potent theme, perhaps even more timely than ever in an era where a major comics company has rebooted their entire line to feature very few characters over the age of 25. The art by Barry Windsor Smith is gorgeous, showing how much he's grown since he started in the British Marvel mags, and his work, described as classicist by the artist himself, is a joy to behold. And it's not only gorgeous art, it's magnificent sequential art. Thomas allowing Smith to tell vast chunks of the story through the visuals, such as the scene in part one where Conan comes up with the idea of poisoning the dragon. Through it all, though, is Conan force of nature, interested in fighting money and women, although not necessarily in that order. He's portrayed as a man of keen battle intellect, if a little rough around the edges in his treatment of women. Smith draws him as a muscular but athletic powerhouse, but with the moves and grace of a panther, which, oddly, is exactly how Sean Connery was described as moving, which landed him the gig as James Bond. 
It's sad that Valeria, despite her early promise, was reduced to being a hostage and that Conan had to rescue her and a desire to fall into Conan's arms was disappointed. Given the era, I was also surprised by the amount of nudity and surprising lack of on-panel violence. Traditionally, this kind of entertainment is high on violence and skittish in its approach to sex and nudity, so it was a pleasant surprise to see that trend reversed. I could easily see this being adapted into being a Spartacus-like television show, and if handled properly, it could be very successful. What did you think, Michael? I, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I loved it. I just thought it was just great. Because there were the little bits in it that I did really like, which made it for the rest of it. I liked the the Lovecraftisms of it. Mm. The bits that weren't answered. I like I liked the idea of the being a really big empty city. Mm. Um, I yeah, because we did we never find out where that came from. No, or, or just the fact that people live on two opposite sides. The rest of it is all empty. Yeah, that's. Um, I mean, I liked the bits that were left unanswered. Um, I liked the dinosaur. Of course. Yeah. I loved it. As I've said, I ploughed through this essential. I read all the rest of Savage Tales. I'm halfway through it. I'm now up to Savage Sword of Conan number five, A Witch Shall Be Born, which looks like it's got some more fantastic artwork by John Buscema. And stuff I should be doing. Yeah. Podcasty stuff has taken a back seat to be reading <laughs> this. I've even took this big hefty tome to work. Yeah. And I've read it in my dinner hour. <laughs> Because it's, it's just brilliant. If you've never read Conan, give it a go, because I was pleasantly surprised by how great it was. And I really want the second volume of this. I think they've done about 14 of them. Yeah. But I think for the, the for now, I think I'm just going to stick with the Roy Thomas stuff. Is that just 14 Savage Swords or 14 Conans? 14 Savage Swords. Because no. remember, it, when we think we said at the beginning, it ran for over 200 issues. Yeah. And they're well into collecting them all. It was on eBay for three quid the other day. Well, all of them? No, just volume two. Oh, and right, right. I've had no money at all this week, so I couldn't even bid on it. Yeah. So I was quite disappointed in that. I also watched the film mm-hmm. on shiny Blu-ray. Did it look any better on Blu-ray? Um, Did it need to look any better on Blu-ray? It's a bit of a mixed bag. Yeah. I've got to be honest with you. I didn't think Conan was as interesting a character in the film as he is in the comics. Did you say by Crom? He did say, well, he's Crom. <laughs> You know, in that way that Arnie does. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed the film. I thought a lot of it was fun. It was borderline campy in places, but there was lots of blood and nudity. So that was nice. Mm. But the acting is is high school production level. Yeah. Every now and again, a real you actor will get show a, up. Yeah. But every now and again, like Max von Sydow shows up in the middle of it. Yeah. And James Earl Jones will show up. And you're like, oh yeah, there's real actors in there. <laughs> and then it'll go back to being Bargain Basement. And Arnie's not very good in it mm. as evinced by the fact he's got about eight lines of dialogue <laughs> and that's it he says five words to the major love interest Fair that's it get in my bed <laughs> when yeah pretty much <laughs> that's pretty much it it's, it's good I enjoyed watching it yeah. but it, it looks a bit ropey and, and the acting's not great and he, he felt like a different character to this he wasn't as smart mm. for a start I mean I don't know if the origin given in that film is the comics are Robert E. Howard's origin because obviously I've not read any as Conan just started without an origin yeah. no at 15 he started fighting so I don't know if that is faithful to the the law but it was alright it's got a good score 
Mm. And I enjoyed watching it, but there are problems with it, I think. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. Next time on an all new episode of Hey Kids Comics. It's Michael's 18th birthday. Said it's your birthday. Should, should we tell them what we're doing? Do you wish it's your call, brother? Oh, I don't know. It's yours. It's your show next week. You're doing it. You're editing it. You're writing it. What a birthday present! <laughs> yeah, do some work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we'll leave it at a tease. Okay. But we will end it on if you're a fan of Earth Destructive Directive, you might enjoy next week's show. Mm, and it's something else that we don't know much about. I know. I know quite a bit about it. Well, I know a little from watching stuff when I was a kid. Yeah. Okay. But that's next time on our all-new episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode dealing with Conan. And the week after next week, something very special. Yeah. Something very, very special indeed, which we hope you will enjoy. See you then. Bye-bye. used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only and no infringement is intended so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show is not turned into a lucrative revenue stream as no money is made from this either which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them and look after them but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com and Hey Kids Comics is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, your one-stop shop for a plethora of truly fine shows. Join in the fun. We have a website where you can see the covers of the comics we've covered at www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Hey Kids Comics.